0: Thank you for joining us for Friends and Followers, a podcast brought to you by the Seton Shrine, where stories of those who were inspired by Mother Seton's life and mission are shared. It is our hope that you might find inspiration as well, and a deeper understanding about who Elizabeth Ann Seton is. And you can subscribe to this podcast to receive the latest episodes. We hope that you enjoy them. Thank you.
1: Hello, um, thank you for joining me today. I'm Lisa. And today we're going to talk
0: about William McGee Seaton and Elizabeth Ann Seaton's love story. And I have Bridget with me. Hi, everyone. I'm so glad to be back to another podcast episode. And I'm really looking forward to this because I love the love story of William McGee <laughs> and Elizabeth Ann Seaton.
1: Yeah, I always think it's funny, though, because I think we start out thinking that it's going to be one way and we know everything there is to know. And then through the research,
0: it ends up being something completely different. And I think that's what happened with Elizabeth and William. Oh, really? I kind of look at it more from a little bit of the historical stance to it, of understanding what were the expectation of women in marriage in the 19th century. And so when I hear about William and Elizabeth's love story and their marriage, it really does not play right into the hands of the expectations and norms of a socialite. Um, so, if you don't mind, Lisa, I'm going to take a minute to explain what I mean. Is that okay? okay? Yeah. And then we will jump Absolutely. into the others. Yes. All right, Great. Okay. So, just in case, so what is a socialite? You know, a socialite was a term that was popularly used in the 19th and 18th and 19th century to explain the role of being wealthy. Okay. So these were generally men and women of, of aristocratic background who were wealthy um, that either had a prominent role, or frequently visit the high society. And what exactly is the high society? Well, it usually consists of fashionable events and um, gatherings that a socialite would generally spend a significant amount of time at. So for women in these relative classes, they would attend these fashionable high society events and gatherings to um, really define a man. You know, they spend a lot of their time making sure that they look good and they have the fashionable clothes and the manners and stuff. Because very early on, when they were growing up, they had to learn very quickly, well, they understood very quickly that it was important to strive for a life that was easy and respectable. Um, And that was through marriage. So, So a woman that was well off.
1: Right, always looking for that that good match, like mm-hmm. finding someone that would take care of you. And there were expectations on the woman as well. Like she yep. needed to have certain skills, and mm-hmm. she needed to know how to carry a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and probably that's where Elizabeth was a little bit different because she went above the just the polite talk. Right, like right. She really wanted to learn, have a very um, Intellectual conversation with whoever she was going to
0: end up with. Right. Well, if I could clarify real quick, you know, women, what you're saying is completely right and spot on. Because women weren't expected to have any occupation of sufficient importance. You know, right. they weren't out there to get a job or anything like that. But women did accustom themselves to have an intellectual occupation. Like they really dived into the study, they read them, they, they took it seriously because, like you said, they really wanted to be able to have um more of a conversation that was intellectual so some would say that they strive for that for merely personal amusement but again i think with elizabeth it was more than that her motive was much more beyond and so when we get into the love story of william and elizabeth i think we kind of see how they really went not against the social norms of the high society but they were unique like you said a perfect yeah. match
1: Yeah, and they were unique for a couple of reasons. So, you know, when you have the social statuses that are basically kind of divided into three groups, right? The people that owned everything, the doctors, the lawyers, the merchants, and then the people that worked for them, and then the people that were in poverty. I mean, William and Elizabeth were both at that top level, but in New York City during that time, it was like the hot spot of the country, right? Mm -hmm. And so they would separate into their own circles, their own social circles. So you would have merchants together and doctors together. And so Elizabeth being from a physician's family Mm -hmm. would not have necessarily have been around William very much growing up because he was part of the merchants. And there was an expectation on William that he would marry into a merchant family to expand their kind of horizons, I guess, to bring more to the scene. family. And so he kind of goes against that by marrying Elizabeth. She really had nothing, her family had nothing to bring to his. Yeah. You know, um, so they, they grew up a little bit different. She was educated here. She never traveled outside of the country. She would have learned, um, she learned French. She would have learned, you know, her history and things like that. William was educated in Europe. And he spent a good deal of time there with his grandmother, and traveled all over Europe. He was educated there, um, and he did his internship in Italy. So he definitely had experienced a lot more than Elizabeth had. He had exposure to opera, and um, you know different social circles in Europe, which were much different than here at that time.
0: Yeah. So. And what is funny is that really. They're both families, the Seton and the Bailey, really only lived like less than a half a mile from each other right. in New York. Right. And yet their paths <laughs> never crossed. But then again, you're looking at where their social circle was. Right. Very different.
1: So we don't know exactly how they met. There is um, a few references I saw that they think Mary Finch, who was a family a friend of Elizabeth's family, her family did um, business with the Setons, that maybe she was the connection, but we don't know that for sure. We just know that by 1791, um, they are starting to see each other. Mm-hmm. You know, even when he's in Europe for that last time, you know, she was writing him letters. Now there were several other girls that were <laughs> writing him letters as well, um, because from all accounts he was very handsome. He was tall and handsome and wealthy, and so he would have been a good catch. Yeah. You know? um, and she was small, only four foot ten, but. Very beautiful, they said, and she could hold a conversation. Mm-hmm. You know, it it so much reminds me of like Jane Austen's Pride and Prejudice. You know oh. what I mean? Like, like, he kind of is looking at her like, oh, you know, you really don't fit into my family socially. Um, but to her, it's kind of like what Elizabeth Bennett says, you know, I'm the daughter of a gentleman and you're a gentleman. So in that part, we're equal. And so mm-hmm. I think that that's how she saw it. I don't think she ever hesitated to think. Oh, I'm not a good match
0: for you. I think very much she thought she was a good match for him. Yeah, it probably mostly was mutual attraction. Because so, yeah. it was so they started really kind of writing each other, getting to know each other in seventeen ninety one. But then they finally officially uh, officially enter into courtship by seventeen ninety three, right? And um, and there's this very endearing term that William used on Elizabeth. It wasn't Bessie, it was
1: Eliza Eliza. my Eliza Mm -hmm. so and he was the only one that we know that called her that yeah
0: and so she really like
1: took that to heart that was their special name not to say that they didn't have you know other names like you know my dear wife and um, My will is what she would say to him Um, so yeah, they liked writing the letters and Um, You know from what New York City looked like at that time theater was just beginning We know that she went to the theater.
0: We know that she went to dances. The ice skating was very big and so So I would say that she definitely held on to his left arm with a very cheerful flirtatious confidence um, regardless of the expectations from either side socially, the right. social dynamics.
1: And we only have a few letters, I think there's six letters that they wrote, um, that she wrote to him, and they're very small portions, but she's always like, well, if you want to see me, this is where I'm going to be, <laughs> um, and she would even say, and don't be late. Oh. <laughs> you know? so. I think that homeless women
0: telling yeah. <laughs>
1: their shooter, please don't be late <laughs> right. and so then you kind of also start to see where it seems like he's trying to track down her father and she's like oh you're you know if you show up here you're going to miss him he's not going to be here and so people are speculating that he wants to ask for her hand in marriage Yeah, at that point yeah. so um, they are married on January 25th of
0: 1794 yeah and it's great because it really is a testament that they chose each other William shows her just as much as she shows him Right, so.
1: and he brought her into a world that was very different from hers in the sense that you know Her family kind of growing up was a little dysfunctional She mm-hmm. you know she had lost her mother didn't have a good relationship with her stepmother Wasn't that close to her half siblings now? Mm-hmm. She's brought into this family where there's a lot of children like mm-hmm. I think 11 siblings or 10 siblings or something and they're all very close and they spend a lot of time together and she just loves it and she has a very close relationship with her father-in-law and so she really i mean she even says it could i have expected a life of such happiness as i have known these four years past now she's talking about her courtship and her marriage the beginning of her marriage and so she is just beaming i mean she's so happy yeah Yeah. Um, don't we all wish that <laughs> ourselves? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think it's those beginning, those beginning years. You know, the courtship is so lovely, and then you're setting up house, and and they they have a couple of children, and things are going really well. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, that only lasts for about four years. Yeah. Um, they stay stronger. In fact, I think we'll see that
0: the more hardships they experience, the closer they seem to be. Yeah, which is very unique because yeah. I think even today. I would say a lot of couples will admit that once the marriage starts going into trials and tribulations, um, it really experiencing, I'm sorry, I cannot talk this (laughs) morning. Experiencing stressors, whether it's financial or the children or job, you know, once those stressors starts imposing on a marriage, um, it could do two things. And I think a lot of people say they have came close to splitting up, you know, right. like they came close to their marriage falling apart because of these stressors. Um, right. But really, when you start reading the letters and you start reading about what Elizabeth was writing about in sharing this Situations that she was in and what her own thoughts and opinions were about her own reflection. Um, you're right; it actually seemed to draw them closer together.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it was such a short time, but um, you know, they experience all these things really quickly. Um, both of their fathers pass away. Her third child, Richard, has a very difficult birth. Um, they're dealing with the fear, her anxiety, that she writes about with yellow fever in the city. Um, well
0: then the the business of bailing, the merchants aren't doing very well because of the war that's going across, or piracy. Right. Um, it really affected brilliant really family business.
1: Right, and in jail. those days, yeah, it was debtor's prison, and so that's what he's thinking, that he's going to go to jail. Um, and so, the, and with his father passing,
0: he takes in his six of his younger siblings. Yeah. So, so now it's more to than <laughs> just a family of five. Right. There's additional responsibilities of right. fostering.
1: So think about that. And like most men that we know today, I mean, that would have been a lot. And yeah. yet William writes, because as they go on to have two more children, mm-hmm. Catherine mm-hmm. and Rebecca, that, that they are his joy, that he, he looks forward to seeing them, that instead of, like, spreading their horizons and, like, Talking to their friends and family they grow closer and they they really start to connect more and Connect with their children and she encloses her family yeah. Now to say that she didn't still have that outreach That's when she was still working with the Widow Society mm-hmm. and she was doing charitable works and you're thinking this is amazing because I would just want to stay home and not do anything and yet yeah. she still does that reach out but She's focused on her family mm-hmm. and taking care of them and yeah. and and she and she's growing closer to God yeah. Right. She's So she even writes to her friend, Julia Scott, that in spite of all the heartaches the bankruptcy proceedings entailed how much reason I have had this 12 months past to bless my maker for his goodness to my children, none of whom have been ill. So she's dealing with all of this mm-hmm. pain and suffering, yet she still sees that that blessing of my children aren't
0: sick. I didn't lose any of my children, which a lot of people were,
1: yeah.
0: you know. And, and then, of course, there's this one big looming factor that has started showing early on in their marriage, but really came to a peak, and that was William's health. Right. Um, right. So this is after her last child is born, right. Rebecca. Right. And, you know, the family's basically bankrupt now, um, but they're still using their social light status mm-hmm. to get them through this. But William's health is failing, right, and failing drastically,
1: right. And one of the things that I've learned, like through studying this, because even when they suffered bankruptcy, it's it was odd to me they were still able to like send some of his siblings away to school. And I'm like, what's going on here? Well, again, like you were saying earlier, when a man was still alive, there was that potential to um, earn an, earn a living, right? So Elizabeth knows if William dies things are going to be much worse for her because she doesn't have that potential. Like she would not be looked upon as someone who could earn money. And so everything would really go away. There would be no one giving her a break and she and her children would be totally dependent on family. And yet she doesn't think about any of that. She's
0: totally focused on William. Yeah. You know, yeah. So nine years of marriage, it's really really where we're getting to the point where i feel that the shift of william and a little bit love for each other really grows strong right really grows strong and it's probably something that we all aspire for ourselves so at least i'm gonna let you take it away
1: um yeah so it's like after the birth of their fifth child rebecca they make the decision to go to italy and for me it was interesting because you know we're, we're always saying oh they went to italy to see this these business associates these family friends the Felikis, um to help william become better and yet as i'm i'm reading here and researching just some of the things that elizabeth said it was almost like she wanted to take him away to have him to herself so she could nurse him she could take care of him and she could bring him closer to god And so, even though everyone was against it, because she had just had Rebecca, you know, they get on the ship with their oldest daughter, Anne-Marie, is the only child they take with them, and they go to Italy. Um, Thinking that, you know, when they get into port, they think that William has yellow fever, so they immediately quarantine Quarantine, them in the lazaretto, uh, which is basically like a prison. I mean, there's nothing... It's a miserable place. There's nothing wonderful. But there's about just this. no
0: um, no comfort that right. they were expecting to experience in Italy. Like right, stone cold wall, lack of furnishing, right. lack of um right. a healthy environment right that they but were yeah. looking for they're sleeping so, on the stone floor they yeah. have a pillow and
1: the felikis uh, they're bringing some
0: things to them as they're allowed but it's pretty miserable yeah um and but she does appreciate and value the time now even though they're not in the best situation right um they there's a closeness that's Again, right. coming even closer
1: for them. Right. I think it's interesting. Like the first day they get there, like she's writing in her journal and she's like, my husband on the old bricks without fire, shivering and groaning, lifting his dim and sorrowful eyes with a fixed glaze in my face while his tears ran on his pillow without one word. And True. her heart's breaking, yeah. you know, she it's breaking for her husband. Um, he's so sick and he's so broken. Like, you know, just those emotions, I think of a man feeling like he's failed his family. And you're right though, as we go through those weeks
0: that they're there, we start to see a change. Yeah, but there is something very unique about that, why her heart is breaking. At the same time, she writes, oh, if I were in the dungeon of this Lazaretto, I should bless and praise my God for these days of retirement and abstraction from the world. You know, so at the same time, you know, she still tries to find where the positive is coming like right. what the good is coming out of it. There's a reason for this right. and I, I think it's beautiful. Right. Um, like I, like you've already mentioned like not only is it you know their love growing stronger, William and Elizabeth growing stronger, but the faith and the love for God is growing stronger but for Elizabeth, but also for William too. Right right and also what a witness for their daughter who yeah.
1: you know sure. she's right there the whole time yeah. and she's watching this and and elizabeth is like praying non-stop and she's doing she's thinking oh at home they're having church service so let's have church service and she's reading scripture and you know and then william starts to think that way like am i i'm going to be saved and and she writes that he said she says my william often asked me if i felt assured that he would be accepted and pardoned she wrote rebecca her sister-in-law i have always tried to convince him that where the soul was so humble and sincere as his and submission to god's will so uniform as his had been through his trial that it became sinful to doubt one moment of his reception for the merits of his redeemer so (laughs) yeah yeah it's it's heart-wrenching um you know, what do you say to someone that's dying? Yeah. And at that moment wondering, can you tell me if I'm gonna be saved? And they want you to tell them, because they're afraid They, you know, those
0: moments close to death, you have to be afraid. Yeah. But so she yeah. is spending every moment with him, and she's not sleeping either, you know? Right. But she's being vigil. Right. Um, and it's just amazing how much she is getting her strength. Um, but she even said, I have often asked him, when he could not speak, you feel my love that you are going to your Redeemer, and then he would mention yes with an upward look of peace. It's just it's, I don't know when I when I hear when I read those words, I, I can see the scene in my head, and it's just it's not such a sweet love anymore. It's an endearing love, right. an endearing love for each other, and then an endearing love to Christ right. and to God. Right. Yeah, I
1: mean, it, I mean, you know, we've been talking about this and, and talking about like the marriage vows and stuff, you know, when you say for better or worse and sickness and health, people always think of the rich part and the better part and the health part. They don't think about the sickness part and the death part and the brokenness part. Like, what do you do when your spouse is so broken and so hurt? you know, and that's, that's your moment, like, do I love this person, you know, and, and she's on her knees, and, you know, wiping the sweat off his forehead, and praying with him, and I love how, like you said, she says, you feel my love, that you were going to the Redeemer, and, you know, just, just those moments of taking care of someone that is so afraid, and so broken, and like you said, she was relentless, like, she did not sleep, Like she talks in her journals at midnight, at two, at three. You know, she stayed awake the last three days of his life. She did not rest. You know, and, you know, and then he dies. He dies at a quarter past seven on a Tuesday morning, December 27th. So this is two days after Christmas. So um, once again, we see like at Christmas time, she's dealing with death. And this would not be the first, the last time, the only time. Um, but for Elizabeth, her whole focus was, I need to get
0: him to heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah like she and I think that she definitely probably concluded that William was free to commit to his life to Christ. In the environment where the past did not matter, so in the last of Adam, she's coming to this kind of conclusion, and that the only hope of the future was God. So you know she was thinking that probably as he was dying, and then even for herself after she died, and probably every year around her anniversary, right. like really, the the only hope of the future was God.
1: Right. And I think it's interesting that she's not she's not wallowing, right? She's not thinking, yeah. what about me? What about my kids? What happens when we go, I go back to New York? Every second is him. You know, and, um, you know, Anne Merwin, who wrote about Connell's Venance and you know, she said, Elizabeth may not have saved William's physical life by going to Italy, but in the Lazaretto, she and her husband worked together with God to assure the survival of his soul. Yeah. You know, and that's exactly what it was. And that was just weeks. And she's so exhausted by this point. And, And she says the night of the 27th was the first sleep she had had in days You know and and then she she continues like she they're afraid to touch his body because he's contagious she's not she prepares him for his funeral um and so she just just goes through like i love this person enough i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do the work for them
0: yeah you know and this is a love that she carries for her the rest of her life right she really does like you said she he was the man for her her one true love Right for the rest of their life, no, nothing ever came in comparison to him. Right, and and what's sad is so that well, you know, William dies in Italy, so he's buried in Italy, and she comes back. She goes back to New York. She returned to her home and her children. Right, and she can only carry the memory of him. She doesn't have anything tangible. Right, to carry. Right, with him. There's no grave to go visit. There's no grave site. Right. Right. Girl. So
1: she just has those memories, and I think anyone that has experienced, um, you know, death of someone, you do have those moments of, how am I going to remember them? How am I, you know, going to going to know? And so, like you said, she she has to leave Italy, and she's she's leaving. She goes to where he is buried one last time, and so she writes in her journal. I went to my dear William's grave and I cried there for a long time in the fullness of my soul with a feeling of unexpressible tenderness, united the remembrance of his last suffering to the memory of our past and the happy years we spent together. It seemed that I loved him more than anyone could love on earth. Being the year of St. Joseph, I wanted to add an insight that came to me while preparing this podcast. A few weeks ago, a friend of Mother Seton's, let's say, asked, did she ask for St. Joseph's intercession during William's death? No, I didn't think so. She wasn't Catholic yet. However, as I was reading about these times in the Lazaretto, my own words came to me. We will have visitors that will come in and they will tell us Elizabeth seems to be in my life everywhere. I grew up next to where she grew up. I attended Elizabeth Ann Seton's school. And I will say, oh, she has a hold on you. You see, I believe as we choose saints, sometimes they choose us. And if we look hard enough, we will find them in our lives. I believe St. Joseph had a hold on Mother Seton. As we know, she would eventually name her school, her churches, her property after him. She would name him the patron of her school. He would be a foster father to her students. So yes, I believe that he was there in the Lazaretto. I believe that he gave her the strength and the peace to help her husband to a happy death. So spend some time thinking about what saints are in your life? Who has a hold on you? Maybe it is Mother Seton.